This is the Inside Scoop with your hosts, Alex Sherman and Edmund Lee. Welcome to the Inside Scoop. I'm Bloomberg Media reporter Alex Sherman. My colleague Edmund Lee is off this week, but I'm joined by Paul Sweeney, media analyst at Bloomberg Industries. Paul, thanks for chatting. My pleasure. Uh, so a few different subjects I want to cover. Maybe the first one, the ongoing saga between Time Warner Cable and CBS. Still no resolution here. Paul, why do you think this is going on so long? You know, I think this is uh, really a, a crucial test for uh, the pay TV business, the cable operators. Um, you know, they really had to draw a line in the sand here and take a tough stance. Um, as you, most of your listeners may be aware, you know, the cable costs, the primary cost for a cable company is its programming cost, uh, the cost to carry the CBSs and ESPNs of the world. And those costs are going up about 10% per year every single year for the cable operators. Now, the cable operators tried the best they can to pass some of those costs along to consumers consumers through higher bills, which I know, you know, many people see their bills rising every, every month. But uh, the reality is a lot of those costs have to be borne by the cable operator uh, negatively impacting their margin. So it is a critical issue for the cable operators and the satellite operators to get that cost line under control. And I think they uh, are really looking at the CBS negotiation, um, you know, as a real way to kind of draw, draw a line in the sand there. The question I think is, with the football season coming up, can CBS afford to just simply sit this thing out and wait it out and assume that Time Warner Cable will eventually come back to them because they can't afford to move forward without CBS on once uh, NFL football begins? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think the you know it's not uh, a surprise that this uh, kind of battle took place in the month of August when you know there's not a lot going on. Uh, for either Time Warner Cable or CBS, for that matter, and, and it's a time where these guys can really um, go at it and try to come up with a new deal. But, you know, I think the drop-dead date will be, in fact, when NFL football starts uh, for both parties. Um, you know, I think CBS absolutely needs to have uh, coverage of New York, Los Angeles, and Dallas. Uh, and conversely, Time Warner Cable cannot afford to have uh, to disappoint their customers uh, with is arguably some of the most you know um, compelling programming on TV. So I think we're probably going to get something done here in the next couple of days. Would be my sense. Um, we actually have the FCC maybe getting involved here. So I think we're probably coming down to the short strokes here in, in you know having these guys come to a deal. So I would be surprised if this. Um, impasse, um, you know, kind of goes past the start of the NFL season. One of the interesting things, as I've been speaking to both sides sort of throughout the process with this, is that one of the large issues that's hovering over this isn't simply money. I mean, it is money, of course, sure. but it's the mobile rights. Uh, I think there is a lot of concern on Time Warner Cable's end that they don't want to sign a contract that makes it easy for CBS to sell uh, live streaming of its programming to a potential online competitor for a uh, lower price than what they're, they would be getting, uh, or at least they want the same terms. And part of the uh, thinking here would be they don't want to see a day where all of a sudden a Netflix or some other company turns into a distributor of live over-the-air programming, which is something that Sony and Intel already want to get into, because I think Time Warner Cable wants to make sure that their fundamental business isn't disrupted by one of these online players. My question to you, Paul, is, is that a real threat? You know, are the Intels, the Sonys of the world, and whoever gets in this business, do you think that it's a real possibility that they could upend the video business of these established pay TV providers? 
Um, I think it is certainly um, on the margin in, in the near term. Uh, you mentioned a couple of tech players, and you know, there's Google, there's Apple, there's in- Intel, as you mentioned. You know, a lot of these tech companies have really been making waves to, you know, try to get some programming, uh, more and more programming over the internet. Um, I think they've seen the success of some of the uh, uh, SVOD providers, the you know, the streaming video on demand providers such as Net Netflix, and, and they recognize just from their own businesses that more and more uh, of their usage is going mobile, more and more of their usage. Uh, is being in the form of online video. So I think some of these tech companies want to get into that. Now, <clears throat> if you're a content owner, uh, such as a cable network or, you know, uh, you know, the owner of the rights to the NFL, um, that is a potential revenue stream for you that you want to actually, you know, have some uh, access to uh, should it develop over the next several years. So that's clearly, you know, from the content perspective, uh, they want to make sure that they get paid uh, in that realm as well. But if you're Time Warner Cable, you're paying for the exclusive rights for a lot of this programming, um, and you're very reluctant to give up much of the um, uh, you know, the digital rights. You want to pre- uh, preserve as much of the digital rights as you can when you're buying this programming. Um, there's a concept called TV Everywhere where, you know, a lot of these cable operators are trying to make it easy for their cable customers uh, to be able to access programming anywhere on any device at any time. Uh, and so these digital rights, which, you know, have been important over the last couple of years, uh, are becoming even more so. So I, I agree with you. I think it's not just the dollars and cents these guys are negotiating. It's about the digital rights, which may not be that compelling today, but maybe as soon as two or three years, it could be a real stickler for these companies. We're seeing it, I think, with NFL Sunday Ticket now, which, uh, you know, DirecTV has had for years, uh, almost, I don't know, two decades at this point. Yep. Um, but it's coming up on a renewal that those rights go away at the end of the 2014 season for DirecTV. Uh, DirecTV is talking with the NFL about re-upping, um, but All Things D reported that the NFL spoke with Google, uh, and, and the topic of the digital rights came up in that discussion. It could be something where the NFL is able to get extract more money out of DirecTV by throwing around the idea that they could sell the digital rights to someone else, which could be a potential uh, cannibalistic thing for DirecTV if a person can get can watch the games uh, over the internet and eventually all these TVs become smart TVs and then it's simply projected onto their screen, that may be something that DirecTV fears uh, would sort of upend the value of getting pay TV rights for it. And I think just from talking to people familiar with this, if DirecTV were to re-up with their exclusive agreement again, they would want both the digital rights and the TV rights to avoid such a thing happening. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, I think, you know, the NFL, there's arguably not a more uh, savvy uh, protector of the value of their rights than the NFL. Um, you know, they've been, over the years, been able to extract extraordinary uh, rights fees from all their programming partners, quote-unquote. Um, so when I look to DirecTV, um, you know, the NFL ticket has historically been a critical marketing and programming component for DirecTV, and, and they spend with the existing contract about a billion dollars a year, and the expectation is under the new contract that will ra- rise dramatically. Um, so I think if you're DirecTV, if in fact you want to keep the uh, NFL, and it's questionable whether they want to, um, you know, one one could argue that the price just might be getting uh, too much for DirecTV, given what's going on in the pay t- pay TV universe where, you know, video subscribers are actually, um, you know, leaving some of the existing uh, platforms such as DirecTV. Um, but to the extent that they want to continue with the, with the, with the uh, NFL and that compelling programming, they are absolutely going to demand uh, the digital rights. 
Now, I think the NFL is looking at Google as, you know, maybe just a little bit of a stalking horse to help in their negotiations with DirecTV. But I really do think that the NFL is thinking about, gee, where can we put our product uh, next? What's the next uh, frontier for our product delivery? You know, we've always been great with broadcast television. We then were, you know, very innovative in going to the satellite companies with DirecTV. Um, and they have their own cable network, the NFL network. Uh, what's next for them? And I think they are very adroitly um, thinking about uh, the digital realm and putting more of their content online. So I think they are interested in it, but I don't think they, I don't think the economics are there to necessarily, uh, you know, if DirecTV puts up a, a nice bid, I think it'll be awful tough for the NFL to turn that down. And of course, they already have a deal with Verizon for uh, smartphones uh, where you can watch the games, and that, that deal, I think, is only uh, relevant to devices seven inches and smaller. So already the NFL is figuring out ways to segment the market to try to get more money out of these rights. How many different ways can they slice it? And then they could theoretically sell them all to different companies, uh, which, again, then puts pressure on DirecTV to get them all under one roof, or at least the rights that they feel are important to the big screen TV, which is, I think, the reason that DirecTV still exists and has so many com- uh, customers, is that, in the end, people want to watch a football game on a large screen TV. They don't want to have to watch it on their computer or their tablet. Exactly. It's been a, it's, you know, the DirecTV, the, you know, that uh, NFL Sunday ticket's been a, just a, a huge part of the marketing promotional positioning of DirecTV versus Dish, for example, and even, even you know, against the incumbent kick cable operator. So it's clearly important to DirecTV, but I would argue, you know, over the last several years, it's probably become less important to them, just given the economics of their core U.S. video business, which remains pressured as, you know, more and more uh, core video subscribers leave the, the pay TV ecosystem and go o- over the top. Uh, so I think, you know, it's going to be a very difficult decision for DirecTV. I think they will put up a very credible bid. I think they will be a very uh, significant... They They'll be willing to, you know, deal with a significant increase, uh, but there clearly will be a line in the sand, which I think, um, you know, they will will not cross because I think the economics are getting, you know, very challenging for DirecTV to, uh, you know, to really ju- ju- justify those rights. If DirecTV does walk away, and by the way, only two million of the twenty million DirecTV subscribers do get NFL Sunday ticket, but it's a great marketing tool for them, and yep. it's also some of their best customers that sign up for this, customers that stick with them. But if DirecTV does in fact decide to walk away, It'll be an interesting trend because they looked at buying GVT, uh, a, a, a internet provider in uh, South America. They walked away from that deal. They looked at buying Hulu. That deal didn't come through. And if, again, the NFL Sunday ticket, they eventually walk away, it'll be a string of things that have sort of gone away from DirecTV because they have felt that the cost has been prohibitive, I'm sure. Some shareholders would like that, but in the end, I do think that there's sort of a long-term bear case on DirecTV, which is if they don't have exclusive programming anymore, when they don't have a a high-speed broadband uh, pipe, why would I invest in DirecTV over the long term? Aren't customers just going to siphon themselves away as Internet TV becomes higher quality and more prevalent in the U.S.? Right, I think that's an issue, and I think for DirecTV, you know, as as you're well aware, and most of your listeners are aware, the, um, you know, the the, the story for or the, you know, I think the 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 bull case for DirecTV has always been Latin America, um, the extraordinary growth they've seen in subscribers and and revenues and cash flow in Latin America. Um, now there's signs over the last couple of quarters that that might be slowing or might be challenged. Maybe it might just be market specific, uh, but clearly it's not the growth story that it was even as recently as a few quarters ago. So, DirecTV's story is challenged. Management has to figure. Out where to allocate their capital. Um, I think what they've been doing most recently has generally been w- well received by investors, which is they've been allocating their capital to Latin America and most importantly to returning cash to shareholders through buybacks and dividends. Um, so, but they clearly have an issue as they say. 
thing about the longer-term growth story of Latin America, which I still think is, is very, very strong from a secular perspective, but they need to think about on their domestic business, um, you know, again, where to allocate capital, and is, is the NFL the right place to do it? So there were two new TV networks that debuted uh, earlier this month, Fox Sports 1, uh, which will be a competitor with ESPN and NBC Sports Network, uh, and also uh, Al Jazeera America, which wants to be a competitor with CNN and Fox and MSNBC, the other news networks out there. Uh, are these two networks um, worth uh, you know, talking about? How do they fit into the larger scheme here? Are we reaching a point where it still makes sense to develop all these new cable networks, or are we getting to a point where you know the market is totally saturated and no one is going to watch these channels? Yeah, I think this Fox Sports one is is the real interesting one to watch because it is um, you're where the the cost of programming for a sports network is is almost prohibitive. There's that's why there's only a couple of them that are you could argue only one that's really successful. That being obviously the uh, the behemoth uh, ESPN. But the score, the, the cost of sports rights around the world for pretty much anything you can think of continues to grow at just an astronomical rate, uh, and it's very difficult to make uh, economic sense for these rights. ESPN, by virtue of its multiple cable networks and its online uh, businesses, uh, in most cases, and its you know, it, and, and the great affiliate fees it receives, particularly in the U.S., uh, is able to make the economics uh, work. So I think Fox Sports One comes into the marketplace. You know they're going to make a long-term commitment. Rupert Murdoch and 21st Century. Fox um, has a long history of spending, you know, years, if not decades, trying to build businesses um, and is willing to take losses and is willing to make long-term in- investments. And I suspect that's going to be the case for Fox Sports 1 here. So I believe Fox Sports 1 will, in fact, be, you know, a long-term viable competitor for ESPN. Um, but again, it is going to be a multi-multi-year um, uh, build for Fox Sports 1 simply because ESPN has locked up most of the rights on a long-term basis for pretty much anything you'd want to put on the air. So, um, but that being said, um, you know, as rights become available for for bidding, I absolutely expect Fox Sports One to be right there with ESPN, dollar for dollar, and um, it's going to make uh, the business much more competitive. And, and I think it's going to take profitability clearly out of the business as the rights fees uh, continue to go up. Uh, so, but I think if I'm ESPN, I have to think about uh, FS1 as a long-term competitor. It's interesting to me, Paul, because it's sort of there are two things going on at the same time here. To me, there is this movement toward a new way of watching TV with these online distributors. And, of course, you move one step further and you start to get into the idea, again, of a la carte TV and just how feasible this is. And then, on the other hand, you sort of have companies operating in more of the old-school TV world. They're making new networks and they're putting them in the large cable bundles. And I wonder if these two worlds are sort of heading for a crash at some point. You know, is there going to be a point in the near future where the business of TV starts to operate a little differently and we don't see simply hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars being shelled out to be spent on programming for cable networks that end up somewhere high up in your dial that you never see? Are we leading towards some new world? Maybe it is an a la carte. Maybe it's something different where the money is spent doing something a little bit different. Yeah, I, I think we are, and I think it's going to be a, a, a longer-term process than maybe some people think. I think just putting a point on it, I think a la carte pricing 
um, is something that I think will come into the pay TV ecosystem, but I think it won't be in the next uh, you know three to five years, simply because the economics of the existing system, where cable networks you know are paid by mass distributors such as the cable companies and the satellite companies, um, you know uh, billions of dollars a year to carry their programming, and then in turn the pay operators are able to charge consumers billions of dollars a year through affiliate fees and advertisers as well. That economic model today uh, is working for everybody. Everybody is making money. Uh, I guess you could say the the one party that, that, that is paying for all this is consumers, and then the question simply becomes, when will consumers push back on the economics of the pay TV business and force some type of unbundling um, or a la carte pricing ultimately? And I think you know it's, it really depends not on the regulators, uh, not on the, actually the distributors or the content owners, but it actually depends on uh, consumers, and we'll have to see how consumers respond over, over time. But you know, if you look at Fox Sports 1, the reason they're able to get into this business, the sports business, is because they do have the economics of a broadly distributed cable network whereby it gets paid not just by advertisers but by affiliate fees. Um, so that is where the economics are today. But I think, as you suggest, I think the economics over the next – and I think the time period is more like five to seven to ten years – the economics are clearly going to move from the traditional pay TV ecosystem into one – where you know, I think more of the economics are going to be in the online distribution realm. And I think that's why you're seeing ESPNs of the world launch their their apps and their websites where more and more of the content can be viewed via app and via their website. As long as you're paying somebody along the toll road, um, then they're going to make their content more available that, that way. And I think you can see that continue dramatically. And I think that's just simply a function of where consumers or how consumers are uh, consuming uh, their media content. And, and as we all know, that's increasingly being uh, consumed online. Paul Sweeney, Bloomberg Industries Analyst. Thanks for joining us, Paul. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Inside Scoop, the Bloomberg Media Podcast.